0: This is the Saverin on Steelers
1: podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR.
2: Carolina shows blitz, shotgun snap, he pumps, he fires it down the field, the man wide open, running with the football, Juju. he's at the 25, 20, 15, 10, he's into the end zone, for a 75-yard touchdown pass, Roethlisberger to smith Juister, Wow. You know what I was going to throw? It? I saw him rolling uh, to, a, to a specific coverage uh, to play a little softer on the outsides, and James was out there. So I was actually getting ready to throw it to him. And um, so it, it looked like I kind of pump fake, but really I was going to throw it. Uh, the safety that came down was jumping that, and that left Juju kind of going up that seam. And I just tried to get as, take as much air off of it and put it on a line and get to him as fast as I could, and then... He just turned on the burners and outran everybody. You know, I wonder when I saw that, was that scripted? Were the Steelers thinking all week long, hey, unless we get a 70-yard kickoff return, was did they think that's the play we're going with no matter what? John on Facebook said apparently an ex-player said on the NFL Network the Panthers would run all over the Steelers. It would be a blowout. Well, he was half right. It was like a knife to my heart when the Panthers scored in the first drive. Then, whom ha? Boom, 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 boom. We're joined now by Matt Williamson. He joins us every week here on Savernon Sports. And Matt does uh, a lot of work for ClaytonFootball.com. Matt, Welcome. Uh, Let me just ask you, did it appear to you on the first play to Juju, I mean, is that something that they would say all week long, hey, we're doing this on the very first play? Or was it a a read Hmm. by Ben? That's a tough
1: call. Um, Generally, most teams script their first 10 dozen plays, whatever. And I think that going into this game, something I was harping on was Their best matchup is Juju against Captain Munnerlin in their slot corner, and we saw a lot of James Washington to keep him in three-receiver sets so that they could exploit that. So it doesn't shock me that they went that direction the first play. Um, But, I mean, that was a coverage breakdown. I mean, there was miscommunication from the Panthers. I don't know how the Steelers could have known that going into the game or that play.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, you're absolutely right. There was some sort of a mix-up, and he bit up, and boom, there, you know, there it was. And uh, I have to admit, um, you know, Juju's got good speed, but he's a bigger guy. Um, I, I was wondering if he was going to win that race to the end zone, even though the safety had an angle on him, and sure enough, he did. Yeah, and to be honest,
1: he did a couple of those last year, and over the offseason a few times this, this year. I've said well, Juju is great as a rookie, but I don't expect him to break long ones. He's not as fast as he got away with last year on a couple of plays. Well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, maybe he's faster than I thought. And just because he didn't time tremendously in the 40 doesn't mean that he's not fast with pads on the ball
2: in his hand. Yeah, well, I remember that, you know, the one in Detroit where you ran away from people. Right. And, um, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, fight or flight. Sometimes you run faster when there are people chasing you. Uh, <laughs> right. Just in shorts in Indianapolis. Um Overall, Matt, uh, I I did think the Steelers would win the game, but I had some reservations. I certainly expected a tight ball game. Carolina's a good team. Uh, Were you feeling the same way, and were you, like most people, shocked at how they just blasted them?
1: Yeah, I was. I, I, I picked the game to be Steelers 32, Panthers 28, and expected a lot of points. And watching that Panthers' first drive, where they really had their way with the Steelers, I thought you'd see a lot of drives like that from Carolina. And one thing I said going into this game was, you know, the the Panthers have great skill position talent. Their offensive line isn't great. It's middle of the road. And if you look at it on paper, it's probably worse than that. But they've gotten away with it this year. Well, on a short week on the road, they didn't get away with it. I mean, to me, that was the difference was the pressure and the dominance up front. As well as Hayden just locking punches down too, so um, yeah, I didn't see it coming. I expected it to be a real back and forth offensive battle, and I was half right,
2: um, which is better than being all wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was
1: half, I was half wrong too. Yeah,
2: well, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the interception and in a return to you know a really bad play by Cam Newton um, in any way, shape, or form. Even at fourteen to seven, when you look at the success of the opening drive that Carolina had, did that change North Turner's game plan, or did the Steelers just make a terrific adjustment so that they really didn't have any more drives like that when it mattered?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have to watch the All-22 to really be sure, but I felt like after they gave the Steelers that gift, that defensive touchdown, which you said was a terrible play by Newton, that if I were the Panthers, I would have went back to a steady dose of McCaffrey that worked so well on the first drive, and I do think they may have overreacted to oh no, we're down 14. you know, we've given them fourteen points. Well, let's try to throw the ball a little more um, as opposed to doing what they did so well, and I think that was sort of a tactical mistake as well.
2: Yeah, you know, it also interested me. You know, I thought it was a very interesting opening drive, and then what happened subsequently. And I want your professional eye on this. Um again it's it's easier to see stuff when you can see the whole field and TV's a little bit of a different story. Um but on the first drive I thought Turner did a really good job when the Steelers went to quote run defense he passed and when they went to pass defense he ran. He really had it mixed up. But I thought the Steelers made a number of adjustments and one of the things that I noted and I already gave the stats is that they absolutely limited Carolina's pass offense to throwing underneath Dinkin and Duncan because they were afraid of the pressure they were getting.
0: Yeah, I think so,
1: too. I mean, you saw a lot of two high safeties. They didn't want to give up the big play. And when I saw that early on, it worried me because the Panthers' offense used to be a drive-it-down-field type of offense, and now they're more of a hit-you-on-quick hitters, run-after-the-catch, attack horizontally more than vertically, So I thought that was a bad idea from the Steelers, but I was wrong. I mean, because the front seven really held up and took away the big plays. And again, Hayden, it looked to me, Hayden looked like he was on an island much of the day and absolutely won that battle, which allowed everyone else to, you know, take away their other weapons with multiple people. And again, I mean, Hayward and company just owned the line of scrimmage.
2: Yeah. You know, you look at, uh, you know, we can talk about the offensive line and we will and what the offense did, but. Um, whatever you think of the defense, what you thought about them, are you a bit surprised that they have accelerated to this level where they've been playing really well? Now, there are better offenses that they're going to have to face, but, I mean, would you agree that this is a steady trend upwards for them?
1: Oh, for sure, and a little surprising. I mean, I told everyone to pump the brakes after the Chiefs game and said, hey, this is what the Chiefs are going to do to everybody. Don't overreact to that. This is a better defense than what you saw. Not to mention there was a lot of mental breakdowns in in that game. Um, But I didn't expect a five-game stretch like this. And, you know, going into this game, I was, you know, very pleased with the defense for sure, and and the stats bear that out. But I told people on on the air that, hey, I have a feeling on Friday – a lot of Steeler Nation is going to be questioning the defense again because I think Carolina is one of the best offenses in the league. And with a short week to prepare and all they throw at you, I bet they screw some things up mentally too. And, wow, they they, they didn't. And, and getting up big, I think, was also huge in this game on a short week. I mean, in the second half, it looked like Carolina didn't want to be there anymore.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of that, and we're going to get to the, the coaching Uh, And maybe every coach would do this. I don't know. I'm I'm not that familiar with Carolina's reserves. But I noticed from the get-go, they were using a lot of people, a lot of people that you don't normally see a whole lot of uh, in terms. And I realize that James Conner went in concussion protocol. But, I mean, they got touches for a lot of different people. I mean, my God, Darius Hayward Bay caught a pass, for crying out loud. Um, You know, they, they, they used an awful lot of people with the idea that, hey, we just played a tough game on Sunday against Baltimore, and, you know, again, I don't know if that's a genius strategy, but they sure implemented it, and and it sure seemed to work.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm not exactly sure when Connor suffered the concussion, because, you know, we saw a series of Ridley, we saw Jalen Samuels, and then they got, I mean, and obviously at the end of the game, they got up huge and they brought in the reserves, which was wise, of course, but I, I think you're right, and I think that's sort of a Steeler trend now on both sides of the ball. You know, that there's probably 15, 16 guys, including guys like Fort and um, some reserves as well. You know, Alu Alu, obviously, that play a lot of snaps on defense. And that's been a trend really since Burnett and everybody's been healthy. And on offense, one thing that they absolutely do is they throw a lot of different personnel packages at you. I mean, you see Chooks Okafor for, for – Five or six snaps a game as a sixth offensive lineman. See a downhill run, a fullback in Knicks that some teams don't even have on their roster. I mean, I saw uh, Xavier Grimble in there in the first half, yeah. like you said. And I do think this game, even more than most, you know, like you were implying, was, hey, you know, we short weeks are tough. We did not had much practice. So we're going to be pretty worn down. Let's play a lot of people.
2: You know the drive, uh, the sixty-one yard drive, which I thought sort of cemented things. Didn't guarantee, but you know that that was their first drive. I mean, my goodness, um, they the first quarter, they time of possession, they had f- the ball four minutes and thirty seconds and had twenty-one points. That, that doesn't <laughs> right. happen terribly often. But that you score
1: fourteen that, points in twelve seconds. It goes ex- a long way to helping that stat.
2: Yes, it does absolutely. Uh, but in that sixty-one yard drive it was all Jesse James at tight end. No Vance McDonald.
1: Yeah, right. And I think it's a testament to Kevin Colbert in the front office that they've built a really deep roster. And, you know, a guy like James going, you know, through the preseason and doing shows up at camp, I thought, man, he's a guy I don't want on the field. I mean, he's okay. He's a number two tight end at best. McDonald's so much better. I can't wait for him to get out there. If, if you can't count on McDonald, maybe they'll need to draft one soon. And you look at James, and, I mean, I wouldn't say he's serviceable, but he's even better than that. And, of course, it helps that he sees always single coverage, but he's a, he's a better blocker. Um, and, and, like I mentioned, Grimble. Grimble's not a bad player at all either. Yeah. I mean, with a lot of teams, I think he'd see significant snaps.
2: You know, a couple more things, Matt, I wanted to talk to you about. By the way, Matt's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. I want to talk about this, but I want your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, much was made about flipping Bud Dupree uh, to the uh, the right side and putting T.J. Watt on the left. Number one, I mean, we're seeing a better Bud Dupree. I mean, he had some pretty good pressure last night. Do you think it's just a matter of him kind of finding his way, or do you think the move of him to the right side was significant in his development?
1: Well, I think the move happened. Because TJ wanted it to happen, <laughs> and he's more important. You know, the, we we love you, Watt. You're our first round pick, and you look great. Let's make you as comfortable as possible. We realize we threw you in it right outside linebacker, and because the, you know Harrison wasn't available. You know, you, you, you beat Harrison out. We didn't see that coming. So now, let's we'll make things right for you because you're doing a really good job. And Bud, if you don't like it, so be it. But I also think that Bud is clearly better this year and i think it'll be a really interesting conversation a year from now when his contract's up you know do you extend this guy is he a foundation player uh, the picking up his his 5th uh, year option certainly looks like a better move now i'm sure that wasn't a slam dunk behind doors to do it or not um i do think as a right outside linebacker he sees more finesse tackles and these lines are blurred more than they used to be but Generally, your left tackles have lighter feet and aren't as powerful, and and I think he's such a powerful player, and he closes with such authority that he can outmuscle some of those guys better than he can NFL right tackles.
2: Well, that that was the second part of my question. Um, you know, it's the old story about ask not what you can do for me, ask what you can do for your country. Uh, you know, ask not what we can do for Bud, ask what you can do for T.J. Watt. Um He said after the game last night uh, that he is able to see the play develop better. Uh, And I think it's clear to me, I mean, Bud might be more athletic, but T.J. Watt has much greater football sense. And in that regard, is that the benefit of having him play on the other side?
1: I guess. I mean, I knew he was more comfortable on that side, that's the side he played in college and became a first-round pick. Um, I I didn't realize – I heard him say something along those lines, too, that he's right-eye dominant and he feels better with that inside eye eye to see things there. I had also thought, you know, again, these lines are blurred, that he's the better coverage player and you're going to see more tight ends to the quarterback's right side, not as much as he did in 1985, but you still do. And that he would – you know, he's more finesse than Bud and he's more of a speed guy, technician I thought he would have more success against the heavier-footed, mauling right tackles, too. So the the move in general, to me, made a lot of sense for both players. But in the end, if that's where he's most comfortable for whatever reason, that's the determining factor. I mean, that's why it all happened. And it's really working out well, there's no doubt.
2: And the last thing for you, and we're going to talk about this at 1 o'clock, after the first month of the season, the Steelers were – Languishing, They were floundering and they weren't playing well. And, um, it was a start that nobody anticipated. Uh, and I look at the five game winning streak and how well they've played and seem to be getting better every week. And Hey, they're going to lose a couple more games. So I, you know, and, and then they will probably revert to, you know, people standing on the Clemente bridge and getting ready to jump <laughs> and, you know, wanting to fire Tomlin but this is something that i, I think is a, is an understated and underrated part of tomlins coaching ability and that is he never loses a team i mean this head team had right. people forget this this was a, a top 5 super bowl contender preseason and here they are 1-2 and 1 somehow he managed to keep the ship steady he kept them together and long enough for them to sort of coalesce and i mean, to me that's a big part of being a successful head coach
1: yeah, there's no doubt about that, too. I mean, I, I think that might be his greatest strength as a head coach, you know, that when the going gets tough or there's off-field distractions, I don't know that anyone handles it better than the Steelers organization and Coach Tomlin. I mean, I've been critical of some of his on-the-field game day decisions, you know, and I don't know if that's his strengths, but what he does and what he does behind the scenes is very, very impressive, and yeah, they did start the season slow, and I think there's absolutely something to be said for they didn't practice together much in preseason and during games. And you know, he has big picture thinking of hey, let's keep these guys as healthy as possible to get to the first month of the season. And if we start slow, so be it. But you know, you can't ignore the fact that this might be one of the health. This is one of the healthiest teams in the league right now. Yeah, and you know, I mean, knock on wood, but if you would to come into the season with two or three more injuries, and then you're playing backups and picking guys up off the street, you wouldn't be in this position.
2: Well, that's, I was just thinking that myself, you know, they've been, you know, I mean, Hayden missed a game and, you know, a game here, uh, you know, a game there. Uh, they've been without Gilbert, but they, they don't miss a beat. They missed Foster. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the key performers largely have been healthy and that's a factor too, but um, you know, he just keeps them focused and, headed in the right direction. Now they're getting some time off. Matt, we appreciate uh, talking to you uh, every single week. Thanks very much. Check Matt out on Steelers Nation Radio as well, 4 to 6 with Dale Lolly. And thanks, Matt. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, Sam. Sounds good. Okay. All right, Matt. Thank you. Matt's brought to us by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. We know how good the offense is. I want to talk about that that line uh, and... Who knows, a line we could be looking at next year. But also the benefit of the flip-flop linebackers and also finding things out along the way, finding out what your best personnel is and how best to utilize them. And I think we've seen some evidence of that uh, as we go forward. We're going to talk about the Steelers' coaching in general. Um, Also, uh, I'm asking you the question. We'll get to that in the second hour. I really like those color rush uniforms the all black with the gold numerals and the stripes and and they, they look more like the block numbers at the st- I, I've never liked those tilted numbers I don't know how you I, how you refer to those but I like the old block numbers from the 70s maybe because I'm a blockhead I don't know but I, I, I I'm gonna ask you about the color rush uniforms I, I like them I I would not at all mind seeing them wear them every home game some people disagree we'll get to that First, we'll talk some hockey with Phil Bork, the old two-niner, <laughs> will join us today at one twenty. Time now for our trivia question. The first correct caller wins the $25 gift certificate to the Carlton Restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh. As you know, Ben was drafted, the 11th overall selection of the 2004 draft. There were two quarterbacks drafted ahead of him, Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. But there was also a quarterback drafted in the first round after Ben. There were four total that year in the first round of the 2004 draft. Here's your trivia question: Who was the quarterback taken after Ben Roethlisberger in that first round? 2874 two 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 eight seven four pound nine seventy. Who was the other quarterback? The last quarterback taken in the draft class of 2004 in that first round. It's Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. McCaffrey gets a fake, big rush. He's in his end zone and he
3: throws the ball. It's going to be
2: intercepted with that football running to the goal line for a touchdown. And that is Vince Williams on that wounded duck Thanks
3: to great pressure on the play. We're having a blast. We're having a great time out here. We're, we don't care who's getting who's getting the, the credibility out there. We're just we're all playing together as a unit. We're flying around. We're having a great time doing it.
2: And Steeler fans are having a great time watching him do it. That's T.J. Watt. And it was his pressure that forced Cam Newton, well, it didn't force him to make the stupid throw, but it forced him to make a bad throw. And T.J. Watt, again, moving to the other side, Uh, It seems to be having a a major uh, impact uh, on on his game. He had two quarterback hits that one, and, of course, he also registered a sack. Um, He's uh, on uh, target, obviously, to break his career high, but also uh, one of the better sack totals for Steeler linebackers going back through uh, the years. Let's answer the trivia question before we continue with our discussion about the Steeler defense. And the question was, Ben Roethlisberger was the third quarterback taken in the 2004 draft, but there was one other QB taken after Ben. And the question was, who was that guy? Well, anybody remember J.P. Losman? I barely do out of Tulane. He was taken by the Buffalo Bills, which kind of tells you all you need to know. Uh, So that was the guy, J.P. Losman, and I vaguely remember him. He certainly didn't have much of an impact in the NFL. You know, you talk about quarterbacks and, you know, you have to go through a period of Bradshaw retired and the Steelers looked to find someone before Ben came along. How about Buffalo since Jim Kelly? Been a while. Anyway, Jim in Pittsburgh was our first correct caller. He wins the $25 gift certificate to the Carlton Restaurant, purveyors of fine meat and fish. Good going, Jim. You are today's trivia winner. I thought Matt Williamson's comments about the flip-flop of Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt were interesting because when the flip was made, in the offseason they decided to do this, it was assumed that they thought, and that, that was the quotes from the Steelers' coaches, that by doing this, by Making this maneuver, it was designed to help out Bud Dupree because, you know, they had made a commitment. They picked up his option. There was some questions whether they would or not. They said, we've got to get Maxim out of this guy. And then you remember what the story was. The story was, well, you know, we're in a situation. um, They didn't say this, but they're looking at a massive bust out with this guy. And then they said, well... You know, Bud gets great pressure, but he often runs past the quarterback and he doesn't adjust. So what we're going to do is we'll put him on the blind side of most quarterbacks, and that way they won't see him coming. 6'4", 260 pounds, he'll sneak up on him. Well, whatever. But no mention was made of what effect that might have on T.J. Watt. Now, look, T.J. Watt had a very good rookie year last year. But I don't know if you feel this way. I do. That at some point, and this happens to a lot of young players, that T.J. Watt hit a wall. About this time of the year, it's been a long season. Rookies aren't used to playing as many games as the NFL does. But it looks like T.J. Watt is actually getting stronger, which is a great sign. And by his own conversations, we were talking about with Matt Williamson, it's possible that Bud Dupree is a better athlete than T.J. Watt. I don't know. It kind of looks like it. But Bud, one of his problems is he doesn't have the same football instincts that T.J. Watt has. Just a sense, a feel, a move to make, where to be, that sort of thing. And as we've said before, I think Bud Dupree is better at it now than he was. And by that I mean, I have seen on occasion a couple sacks this year where he has run a bit past the quarterback but then put on the brakes and has come back to get the quarterback. Remember, You know, one of the things that you get when you have pressure up the middle is that you force a quarterback to move out because there's nothing there, or if the pressure comes from outside, that forces him to step up. One of the things that Dupree was doing in the past was getting pressure but running past the guy. Now you'll see him adjust on the fly. It's almost like a guy on special teams coverage. You just don't run 1,000 miles an hour and hope you happen to intersect with the ball carrier. After you sprint about 30 yards on a kickoff, let's say, you then slow down, get yourself under control, and move to either avoid a blocker or to get a good angle on the ball carrier. The same applies for a pass rush. You just don't start out and go on a straight line. I realize the shortest distance is a straight line, but you just don't run and run to a spot where you think the quarterback might be. You've got to be able to adjust to where he actually is, and Dupree has done that. So that's been beneficial, but I also think we're we're seeing T.J. Watt better than he was last year when he was on the right side because he's got better instincts. He moves better in the open field. He adjusts better. He adapts. And a couple other things I think we're seeing. John Bostick, when he's put in a proper position that plays to his strengths, has been very good. Ten tackles last night, six solos. But when they were asking him to, you know, drop back and pass coverage, that's not what he does. But that's where they found, and he was there all along, L.J. Fort. If the Steelers pass defense over the middle, and remember, you know, tight ends would torture him. And Again, I'm not saying that L.J. Fort is anywhere near to what Ryan Shazier is. Certainly not. But L.J. Fort was just a backup. He was a special teams guy. Now he's playing a more prominent role. We all knew that Mike Hilton was great in the slot, but we're also seeing that you can utilize a guy like Cam Sutton. Overall, the defense is better because more people are adept at doing jobs specifically designed to suit their strengths. That goes to coaching in large measure. We'll talk about the Steelers coaching. That's coming up next. At 1.20, we'll talk some penguin hockey with the old two-niner Phil Bork. He'll join us at 1.20. And shortly thereafter, I ask you, Do would you like to see the Steelers wear those all-black uniforms, the ones they wore last night, every home game? We'll talk about that. It's all to come. Second hour of Saveron on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Savernon on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I don't know if that's distance we covered or if that was just a bad outing. You know, that first Baltimore game from a possession down standpoint. Largely, we've been really solid, but that game was not. And so that's probably more of the story. Um, you know, we can't have them type days. You have those type days, man, you're going to lose football games. It's time for Sabrin on Sports. Well, the Steelers continue to be better at their third down conversions after that first Baltimore game, which was One of the reasons they lost that game, they were dominated, obviously, in that game. Not only in their inability to convert third downs, but allowing Baltimore to complete about 50%. Last night, the Steelers were 8-for-11 on third down conversions. And I think they did 8 of their first 9. Conversely, Carolina, the game got out of hand, but they were 4-for-11. It's one of the ways that the Steelers have gotten significantly better. And I think you always have to look at the players for the primary reason why. Win or lose, the players are the ones doing the playing. But coaches have to prepare them properly, not only get them better individually, but prepare them so that they can achieve success. That is the X's and O's part of it. But I also think that there is a a mental aspect to it as well. To keep a team focused, it's a long season. They're together six days a week. OTAs and training camp, the season starts. Players only get one day off a week. Here it's generally Tuesdays. And a coach's message can go stale. There are many ways to do that. You know, back in the day, because he was so successful, people thought that, well, the only way you could be a great coach would be to be Vince Lombardi, you know, dictator-like. But there were other people who were pretty darn successful, guys like Don Shula, certainly Chuck Knoll. Who did it a different way? You had tough guys like Bill Parcells, but you had guys like Marv Levy. Yeah, I know he lost four Super Bowls, but he also got four. You've got a guy like Belichick who does roll with an iron hand, but you've got other people who have been successful who don't coach that way. You know, a guy like Mike McCarthy, you know, he got one Super Bowl. I mean, Bill Cowher did it his way. Don't forget, by the way, tonight at 8, it's a football life, Bill Cowher on NFL Network, tonight at 8. So watch it and set your DVRs. There are different ways to get it done. And I know that there's been, always been a raging debate. A lot of people, a lot of people, I would say a majority of Steeler fans, Steeler Nation, if you will, don't like Mike Tomlin. You don't have to like him, but they don't think he's a good coach. I've always begged to differ. There have been some disappointments. I don't agree with every coaching decision he makes. Plenty of them, as a matter of fact. But I believe he's a good, very good coach. Is he Bill Belichick? No. But who is? Has there been anybody in the league that's had more success than him? Sean Payton's been a very good coach, but he, too, has won Super Bowl. He, too, has a franchise quarterback. That's the knock against Tomlin. Well, he had Ben, but I've already talked about how often the killer bees have not been together in the playoffs. Only one full game, and that was that disgrace of a loss to Jacksonville in the playoffs last year. And, yeah, Tomlin's responsible for that. Not solely, but certainly partially. But the biggest thing about Tomlin, it seems to me, and I think he deserves credit this year, whether you want to give it to him or not, as I was talking with Matt Williamson, this team was on the rocks after September. You know, it's one thing to be 1-2 and 1 if you were expected to be 1-2 and 1. But when you're expected to be a contender for the Super Bowl, no, that's not okay. Especially coming off a 13 and 3 season and then a total bust out in the playoffs. I think that's the worst home playoff loss they've ever had. I know there was some the one to San Diego. Any one of the three to New England, but that thing last year I'm not talking disappointing, I'm talking about disgraceful. So coming off of that, again the expectations are high, and they should be, they were for the organization. Just wasn't it just wasn't fans and media. So they start out one, two and one. Terrible start. And the Sharks were circling in the water. Remember the Sharks were circling last year, too, when Ben said jokingly, maybe I don't have it anymore. He didn't get off to a great start. He didn't get off to a great start this year, and he wasn't the only one. But the one thing that Tomlin does... You've heard me say it, and I believe it, or I wouldn't keep saying it. He doesn't lose his team. He keeps them focused. He keeps them confident. He knew he had a lot of season left. He also knew he couldn't continue this way. But he knew he had a lot of season left. He's been doing this for a while now, since 2007. He's one of the longest tenured coaches in the NFL. And he understands what you have to do when things aren't going your way. And that's why I think he's done a great job. He's got them playing like most people thought they would and should. The offense... Even though it didn't play well in the Cleveland game, really, they didn't. And certainly not the Baltimore game. They, they played well against Kansas City. But when you stop and think about it, they're even better now than maybe most anticipated. And the defense, which was understandably under a microscope, it's not great. It's not going to be great, whatever your definition of great is, but I think you'd have to agree that it's been surprisingly good. Now, again, there's Brady, and there's Rivers, and there's Breeze to come, but they've done a pretty good job against offenses that have had some success. And I think, even if it's grudgingly, you've got to give Tomlin credit for keeping a steady hand on the rudder to allow this team and to mold this team to win five games in a row and now be at 6-2-1 one with one of the best records in the NFL. And no, Belichick, sure. But who would you rather have as your coach? Some would say Sean Payton. Maybe Sean McVay. The young guy out in Los Angeles with the Rams, sure, maybe. But are there any other slam dunks of coaches you'd rather have? Neil says, I consider myself a Tomlin detractor, but I'm in complete agreement with you, crediting him for their success as of late. Here's hoping he continues to prove me wrong. Some people are saying that they would vote for Tomlin for Coach of the Year right now. It's premature for that kind of vote. Bill says, hats off to Tomlin. Gary says, I sometimes wonder if the uh, Tomlin detractors hope the Steelers lose just so they can say that they were right. Tomlin isn't Belichick, but other than maybe snarky Sean Payton. I can't think of another current head coach who is in Tomlin's class. I McVay mean, has, you know, great start. He's got a long way to go, only his second year. But still, I think he's done a very good job. That could turn, but I think credit where credit is due. I've always believed in him, haven't always agreed with him, but I've always believed in him. Many of you haven't. I get that. We've had debates about this. I think he's done a hell of a coaching job this year. Stephen Finleyville. Hi, Steve. How you
0: doing, Stan? Good. Hey, um, but, you know, obviously, uh, lucky for you and the listeners, I don't call as much during football and hockey season as I do in baseball season. Uh, but um, I am a fan of all three teams. I And one thing I'll say about Tomlin, Stan, and you pretty much summed it up in an educated way. I'll dumb it down for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just get better progressively every team every year. Are they good enough sometimes? And, and like you said last year, that was just a debacle against Jacksonville. And um, But they get better under him. And every year they start off a little slow a lot of times. This year, no different. But right now they're, they're, they're humming. That defense showed up. That's a defense in a perfect world you expected this year, Stan. Pressure, the, the coverage is pretty good. Uh, it was just a well, well played, game, well schemed game, uh, you know, and that's a credit to the coaching staff.
2: I think if you look, and I, I know I saw some numbers coming into the month of November. His record in October and November and December um, is really pretty amazing, um, and unfortunately, in January, it's not as good as most most people would like to see. And I also think that in terms of of the the, the defense overall. Their general philosophy, people talk about they draft a cornerback and so on, and, you know, they have, and Burns looks like he's a bust out, and some other ones uh, have yeah, been as well. But their general philosophy is that if we are strong in the front seven and uh-huh. we create great pressure, not just in sacks but in quarterback hits and pressures like we saw last night on the pick yeah. six, that will cover for our secondary. It'll make And clearly, the coverage is better because the rush is better.
0: Right, right, exactly, Stan. Uh, and uh, you, you and uh, Matt Williamson were talking about it. And I heard uh, the girl doing the, the sideline reporting last night. Uh, she brought that up, or maybe it was set up for her, or maybe not. But she brought that up about how. And I knew that they had switched Dupree and uh, T.J. Watt during the season. I didn't really know why. And they were talking about what you and you and Matt were talking about was the dominant right side, his right eye coming off that left, the way he comes now. He just he he. It, to him, it feels better. And I tell you what, they've both played better. Bud Dupree, he ain't the greatest. time. he gets a lot of hands on a lot of pressures. <laughs> but just, at least, up, he, yeah. I mean, he's got
2: he's got to elevate his game when you know. But
0: uh, he, I mean, you know,
2: getting Cam Newton down is is difficult. He's got to improve that. But even when he's creating pressure, he's forcing a quarterback to release the ball earlier than he's like. Uh, he would like. He's not giving him a chance to go through all his progressions. He's moving the quarterback off the spot. He's got room for improvement, but he's a darn sight better than we've seen him before. Thank you, Steve. No doubt, Stan.
0: Thank you. All right. Have a good
2: day. You too. Let's talk to the Apollo Flash. Hello, Flash.
0: Hey, Stan. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, When I watched the start of that game, and they went down through us like a hot knife through butter, I thought, oh, man, here we go. And the build-up to the game, you know, Cam Newton had his Superman cape back on, and he was 250 pounds of fury, and you couldn't bring him down. And then uh, the Steelers, like rabbit punched him in the first five minutes, well, the first 13 seconds, I guess, of the, when they got the ball. And uh, I think that just blew his mind. I think that after that, it was. Uh, I think he looked confused sometimes, and uh, not used to being hit. What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, he's a physical guy. I'm I, I, Because he runs so much, I'm sure he's used to being hit. Um, but I, yeah. I I don't know that he anticipated that there'd be somebody in his face. And that was the Steelers' game plan. I mean, it was no secret they were going to bang him around and, and, you know, see how he reacted to that. And, you know, look, having a big 21-7 lead and scoring two touchdowns in 11 seconds, you know, that helps too. Uh, but, yeah, I, I you know, that that makes a difference in the game. And I think Matt's right. Uh, midway through the third quarter, they didn't look like um, uh, they couldn't wait to get back on the plane. Thank you, Flash. Appreciate the call. Okay. Bye now. Bye now. Take care. Thank you. Quickly, we go to Anthony in Oakland.
3: Hi, Anthony. Well, Stan, I, I've, I've always been impressed with Mike Tomlin, not just this year, but look at the, the previous two years and, and, and 15 when they had lost on, and it was Looks like it was going to be a little dark time. Uh, they he that team regrouped with Michael Vick at quarterback, and and uh, to me the most impressive game that year was when they dismantled the Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and and if it not for a uh, so late hit on Antonio, may have uh, solved New England in the championship game that year.
2: Well, you know the other thing is too. You thought, since you mentioned Denver. Um, that playoff game in Denver, A.B. was not available. That was the Vontez Perfect hit. Um, they right. didn't have, not only did they not have Le'Veon Bell, but remember D'Angelo Williams right. wasn't available. And, and you know, th- they they should have won that game. You yeah, know, The Broncos won you know, a, a, a touchdown, uh, eight points, but they should have won that game. And, you know, to keep that team together like that, playing the way they played, I mean, I think that says a lot about a coach, even if it ended in defeat.
3: And then the next year, when after a, a heartbreaking loss to Dallas here, yeah. they were four and five, and they ran off nine in a row, and here they were in AFC Championship again, but they just didn't have enough to take care of the, their nemesis. And I think this may be the year. This, this may be the year where it changes for him and this team to take care of their nemesis, if they can get that far. If they do that, I think all the naysayers will look at him differently, I think,
2: Stan. No doubt. That's that's the big hurdle. you got to beat Belichick, and that goes for everybody in the AFC. You know what, Anthony? And I've got to run here. We're going to get Phil Bork on. I thought last year was the year. I thought that the Patriots, hey, they're still very good, and they <laughs> they still have 12 at quarterback, There's no, no matter how old he is. But I really thought last year the Patriots were vulnerable, but they couldn't get past Jacksonville. Um, I think if the Patriots are vulnerable last year, I think they're more vulnerable this year. And I think it can be done. But
3: easier said than done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Stan. All right, Anthony. Thank you.